as this was going on, CBT was happening and I was delving into my childhood and I was learning a lot of stuff about myself. And so therefore um, I was dealing with things in a different way. And alcohol became quite insignificant at this point. Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose, the podcast that explores what makes us feel good to get those happy hormones firing. Next up, I speak with lead psychologist Dr. Laurie and Grant Plant, a patient from Awaken, the UK's first clinic that offers ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. The combination of cognitive behavioural therapy, otherwise known as CBT, and ketamine enables the patient to rewire their behaviour and overcome struggles from depression to addiction. Patient Grant describes it as a mind-altering experience that was like resetting the brain, helping him to get to the root causes of his drinking habits. He has remained sober for two years. Now, Awaken is also researching other therapeutic regimes that are currently in late-stage clinical research that includes adjunct therapy with MDMA. As ever, we are so thankful to our listeners for tuning in each week. We would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Also, please sign up to our newsletter if you haven't already at whateveryourdose.com forward slash newsletter. I hope you enjoy. Thank you both so much for joining me on the Dose podcast. Um, it's really fascinating to hear about Awaken because it's the UK's first ketamine assisted psychotherapy clinic. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, right. Yeah. We're we're the first um, organisation to be offering ketamine alongside therapy in the Amazing. UK. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Grant, we've got you here as somebody who's gone through the treatment and come out the other side with amazing results. And Dr. Laurie, you're kind of here to guide us on the science and and what it's all about. So, before we kind of kick off into my questions, can you just give us a little bit of background about the clinic and why it was set up? Yeah, sure. So um, Awaken Life Sciences are a clinical biotech company. Uh, So we're involved in research with uh, psychedelic compounds. So we're doing research with MDMA um, and with ketamine. But really excitingly, we've just opened our first clinic uh, in Bristol in the UK, and there will hopefully be many more to come. Um, And I I guess the aim really, we're looking to offer better mental health options for more people. So we know that um, current mental health treatments, so and that might be antidepressants, that might be therapies, they do work, they work for some people, but there is still a cohort of people for whom those treatments just aren't working. So um, perhaps they've tried all sorts of different medications, they've been through therapy and not benefited. So they're looking for something else. Uh, so at Awaken, we're really excited to be able to offer uh, psychotherapy um, alongside ketamine. So how that works um, in, in, a, in a clinical sense is um, we have a, a general protocol of uh, 10 sessions, that's 10 sessions of psychotherapy within six weeks. So it's quite an intensive course of therapy. Um, and then there's a follow up at nine weeks and four of those sessions are assisted by ketamine. Um, so again, it's all sort of a, a talking therapy intervention um, with ketamine enhancing that therapy on four occasions. Um, because, uh, and I'm sure Grant will talk a bit more about this, but we understand that ketamine can just really help um, people develop new perspectives and insights um, and find kind of 
new ways of looking at old problems uh, and that's prime territory for using then psychotherapy to harness that um, and help people sort of make plans for the future and changes going forward. Amazing and so kicking off with our first happy hormone dopamine which is often linked with um, addiction isn't it it's kind of our pleasure seeking motivation molecule that can lead us down a, a very good path in terms of mm-hmm. achieving things in our life but also kind of a negative path if we're not careful of uh, you know gambling or food sex everything that kind of gives us pleasure really um so this brings us to talk about alcoholism and, and grant your experience um which is why you sought help in the first place so um dr Rowe, before could you give us a little bit of insight into addiction and how it works in relation to dopamine because i know that you're like a specialist in addiction and you you've been training in this field for i think nearly 15 years yeah i've had just over um a decade working in addiction services um and there's all sorts of factors um at play uh in addiction so some of them will be biological and some of them will be environmental but for thinking about the role of dopamine specifically yeah, amazingly we uh, there's still lots to learn uh about the role that it that it plays specifically um but i guess yeah as you were as you were highlighting there hetty you know it's kind of dopamine is released uh, when you do things that are pleasurable. Um, And so it's kind of reinforcing that memory of something that you found pleasurable. So it's reinforcing that memory of pleasure um, and making you likely to seek out those those experiences. So if we're thinking about a a drug, for example, um, you're going to uh, remember that it felt pleasurable and then seek it out. Where uh, that can be problematic, I guess, uh, in that... in the context of dopamine is um, if you use a substance, if you use a drug a lot, um, then the reward center in the brain uh, becomes flooded. So, um, and and overstimulated. So you need a lot more of that substance to get the same response, the same kind of pleasure. Mm. Um, And so you end up kind of seeking more and wanting more. um, And that's where you end up, can end up in that cycle of addiction. And Mm. like I said, there's lots of other factors involved as well, but um, that's just a kind of example of how dopamine plays its role. Yeah. And so Grant, getting to you, is this something you were nodding your head there? So this is kind of behavior you recognized in yourself when you were drinking alcohol? Was it just you, you needed more and more of it each time in order to get that that kind of pleasure response? And you were kind of leaning on it a little bit too much? Yeah. So I think, I think that's, you know, obviously, that's very true. And um, if anyone that's had any kind of uh, length of abstinence from alcohol, the first glass of wine they have when they get back, um all of a sudden you're a lightweight because uh you know it, it, it hits you really hard and you used to be able to drink a lot but now you can't drink as much so um yes so but basically um yes it becomes more and more and not just like overnight I mean it sneaks up on you it's not something that really um you know you go from drinking half a bottle of wine to drinking two bottles of wine um in six months or you may do that but usually these uh you know and my experience was is that it crept up over three four five years Mm. so can you tell us a little bit more about why that was was it just a gradual thing or was it a life event that triggered it and when was the point you realized that you needed help okay so I was always a bit of a, a a party drinker funnily enough I didn't drink anything until I was 30 so um I had really good memories and everything about how uh, how to enjoy life without alcohol. But um, at 30, I did start drinking and um, I 
got married and I moved to America and we had children and then the marriage started to go wrong and um you know, like many people, uh, just the intake of wine in the evening tended to be something that, you know, uh, myself and my wife uh, would just, um, you know, it just crept up, you know, sitting in front of the TV, etc. And of course, when um, I had to realise that that relationship was over um, and the, the breakup within the marriage, um, my drinking became, became more. Um, and then after um you know it was obvious that the marriage was over and i'd moved out etc etc then i went more into binge drinking so i'd be really healthy during the week and then i'd go to a party get absolutely hammered and um you know do all kinds of stuff um living a kind of single life but running away from um you know the trauma of what what um uh, the marriage breakup and not having that family unit, my kids around me. I'm a very, very family orientated guy. And so, yeah, it just crept up. And I got into a real cycle of being really, really fit and healthy in the week and then drinking really heavily at the weekends. And then that would sneak from Thursday to Monday. And before you know it, on boshing, you know, two bottles of wine um in an evening that wouldn't be that wouldn't be out of character for me not every night but that you know that's a lot of that's a lot of alcohol and of course you know sleep starts to get bad exercise um that I was doing you start to you know bin it off and um you know it's just a, a cycle so then I would go through this absolute guilt um about I'm doing too much I'm drinking too much so then I try and stop absolutely immediately get back to being a healthy lifestyle. But then it was just a, you know, it's, it's a circular thing. It just kept going and going and going like that. Mm. And so did you try um, other means of uh, going cold turkey? Did you, and then none of these things worked? Is that why you turned to this therapy? Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking a good five years from my marriage um, to the, to the, um, to the trial. So, um, you know, that was going round in circles. Uh, my relationships, I, I know we're going to get onto that later, mm. but, you know, they were very tricky. Um, and um, what underpinned it was this cycle of giving up alcohol and then, you know, just going, no, come on, you can let yourself drink. And then uh, that's it just continued like that, really, for a good five years. But I did have um, cold turkey if you want to call it culture, I kind of call it ego abstinence, where I said to myself, okay, I'm not going to drink for three months. And then just went off and showed off for three months with all my friends. Oh, I'm not drinking, I'm healthy and doing loads of fitness. But then when that three months finished, um, you know, and I had that first glass of wine and then it built up again and then other life, um, just normal life stuff, you know, like deaths and breakups with girlfriends and uh lots of other stuff you know you know there's still the residue of you know the problems from my marriage and um and before you know it and before I knew it I was back to uh square one and overweight unhappy not doing the things I should be doing and just you know I was I was pretty much at the end of my tether 
Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you're like a very, family is something you take very seriously. And so what was that one of the biggest drivers towards you getting help? And, and talk us through a little bit about the actual experience of the therapy and how, how it changed you and how quickly it kind of started to change you. Okay, so the one thing that, you know, always I managed to hold on to was the fact that when I had my children, I wouldn't drink. Um, yeah. It was very, it was like, you know, it's like an elastic band. You don't drink for two days. You feel absolutely amazing. You've had your kids and they go and on Sunday night and you're feeling a bit low and you think, bosh, gosh, straight back Mm. with it. So, um, yes, and I was going through a court case as well for, um, you know, access to my children, um, which which was very tricky. Um, So that whole family thing, you know, that was years and years after the marriage, but it was still going on, still going on. Um, and so what I decided to do was I did, uh, as I said, three months sobriety in 2018 and I did everything. I went to the festivals. I stayed up till four in the morning dancing to techno. I just did absolutely everything on Coca-Cola, you know, I just, mm-hmm. but I was just showing off, you know, I was just showing off and it was a big deal and everyone said, hey, you're great, you know, and then, and then I went back into it and then my mother died. Um, and then I had some other troubles with with my current partner. And so in June uh, 2019, I decided that I was going to give up um, drinking. And my thought process was that is if I could do six months, then I would do Christmas, New Year, have some really, you know, um, significant times where you're meant to drink and you don't drink. And then at that point, I would look at alcohol and say, well, if you can't have a glass of wine, just one, then you'll give it up forever. But what happens, well, at that time was uh, Mr. Zuckerberg or whatever was listening and bam, on Facebook, it came up, care, with a K, obviously, um, trial. So I applied for that because then I thought, okay, well, at least if I only get um, a placebo and alcohol education, the amount of effort that I need to put into this will keep me on track for six months. And that was all my thoughts. Um, but what happened was uh, completely, you know, just just mind-blowing. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I got something within the, the month of the, se- the session that just made me know that I don't ever have to drink again. Amazing. Can you talk us through the trial a little bit about what you experienced? Because I know we'll get to this later, but, you know, ketamine is often associated as like a kind of a drug you take at festivals and stuff. So as you speaking about your kind of hedonistic past, like, was it intriguing to know that you could use a psychedelic or a drug like this to actually help your health? Yeah, I mean, of- I had mates yeah. were like, oh, I wish I had gone on it. And I was like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the problem was obviously they don't have they didn't have a drinking problem they just yeah. wanted to get on it you know they just were like wow this would be amazing but for me it was a means to an end and there was a goal and I think that's really important um that there was mm. a goal I was I was never scared of doing psychedelics um mm. and obviously it was in a clinical situation it was in a hospital there was doctors and nurses and anaesthetists and therapists and you're in a lovely room and you know and and they're taking your blood and giving you all these tests and you know what you're not gonna you're not gonna do one you're not gonna die you're just gonna you know have have the experience and um and I so I decided um to just um luckily 
I got, I, it was a blind test, so I didn't know I was going to have the ketamine, but they said to me that you're going to have the CBT, which was really good for me because I really wanted the CBT. Um, and so, but it was obvious within uh, sort of a couple of minutes that probably I was getting the ketamine because of the way I was reacting. <laughs> really? <laughs> Amazing. And so... Uh, can you remember that first experience or was it yeah, a little bit hazy? Yeah, first experience was um, I, I really felt that I held on slightly. So I was I was in a room, there was lots of people in there and uh, Martin and as, as it went into me, because it was through a stent, you know, dripped into me, I just felt an amazing calmness. Um, but my mind at, on the first one, I kind of held on to a little bit of reality. So I did, I'd say trip, but it, I, looking back at it, I just know that it was my mind. Um, it was my mind um, sort of doing what um, I thought was would happen if you did ketamine in that way and so everyone turned into characters of um Alice in Wonderland you know the when the when the nurse came over me and leant over me she was massive like that mm. and you know it was just one of the, one of the um uh, researchers walked in and smiled and she turned into the Cheshire cat um and you know it was just I'm sure it, obviously it was my mind um and so, yeah, so I held on on that one, I would say. I held on to a little bit of reality, but it was enough um, to make me realise that everything was fine and that, you know, I was in good hands and being cared for. And so mm. the second one, um, I let myself go completely. And that was the one that absolutely did me, as it were. So I sunk, sunk deep, deep into myself um, and I became like just white. It's hard to explain, but I became like a white entity. Um, and I left my body and I went up on the ceiling. And the nurses said, oh, we think you were asleep for most of that. And I said, I wasn't asleep. I just had no, um, I just no, had no pathway back into my body. And so I was just trusting that uh you know that I, I would be brought back and that you know what I wasn't I was very calm that it wasn't the end but you know I wasn't me I, I was up there and I was this white entity and that was the thing that shattered my ego um and put me later when I reflected on it was like my position within the uh the universe and um what what you know, what things are capable of. And of course, as this was going on, CBT was happening and I was delving into my childhood and I was learning a lot of stuff about myself. And so therefore, um, I was dealing with things in a different way. And alcohol became quite insignificant at this point. It's just like you don't have that kind of massive epiphanies if that's a word, or you don't have that massive kind of, you know, um, experience and then come back and go, right, pub, you know, or yeah. whatever. It just, alcohol just slipped away. Um, and then the third one, the third one was, again, it was more trippy. Um, I didn't go as uh, as deep. I think that I, maybe I was a, a little bit more anxious about it being the last one. I didn't know what it was going to do. Um, but again, it, it was just all about... Um, 
you know what what my perceptions of ketamine were so i mean there was Jimi hendrix playing guitar and vietnam and all this kind of stuff going on and um yeah and so but as i said the cbt after that um really really helped me um you know just i just knew that i didn't have to drink again i mean it's just a really weird thing it's just like you know i just knew that i don't ever have to drink again that's what i just knew and so mm. um and of course after that um anyone that's asked me that i've just said no i don't want to drink today i'm not going to have a drink because you know most people wouldn't wouldn't have looked at they would have looked at me as a problem drinker yeah if they'd have known the full story they would have looked at me as a problem drinker but i wasn't at a stage where i was you know down and out and just like could never have another drink because my liver might do one. I was not at that stage, obviously. Um, mm. And what I wanted from it was a freedom. I wanted a freedom to, I keep saying this, but I wanted a freedom to just be able to go to the supermarket without getting anxious about walking down the booze aisles, um, which mm. I've totally got. I mean, I've got friends, they leave um, half bottles of wine in my fridge and uh, mm. they know they'll be, it'll be there. I mean, I've got no interest in alcohol at all. <laughs> mm. and you've been sober now is it two years yeah is I don't call it experience? sober I call it normal oh no normal <laughs> so it'll be two years in June 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 the 10th yeah, yeah. I it, don't the, yeah. the other thing that I reason I wanted to do this was I I, I I don't like labels but I also didn't really like um the religious um overtones of things like Alcoholics Anonymous or the 12-step program mm. or whatever I'm just not um for my past that you know my family of evangelists and um you know I just didn't want that so you know this was perfect for me yeah and Dr Lowe can you talk a little bit about what Grant was explaining there and like how ketamine was affecting his brain in order to access those deeper childhood memories and CBT for listeners that um are tuning in it's it's a cognitive behavioral therapy isn't it something you specialize in yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, uh, Grant was on their, their care trial, which combined uh, these, as he wonderfully described, those ketamine-assisted sessions. And then afterwards, in between, there were uh, cognitive behavioural therapy sessions as well. And that's, uh, as, as I mentioned before, that's where you get that chance to consolidate um, recovery experiences. So yeah, what, what Grant was describing there, what he, did, what he experienced, um, we might call dissociation. Um, so where he said he was kind of it was a like out of body experience i think you said grant and sort of looking down on yourself um that's uh, that's kind of dissociation where you feel quite separate from your body your mind and body feel separate um and uh, and you feel quite separate from your environment um and and usually with with no apprehension about that it's just kind of oh that's happening uh it's a bit weird and unusual and and that's uh, you know that's why we have therapists um supporting supporting you through the session just to kind of help uh, help you to let go and and be as open as possible so um what grant described was very common as well kind of in that initial session where you've perhaps got a bit of apprehension and anxiety it's just that bit more tricky to to properly let go and be open to the experience and then in his second session 
session that's where we really let uh, went into it and let it happen and that's where we find you can achieve most benefit because um we really as therapists we're really encouraging people to uh, again as grant said to had an intention um he, he knew what he, he had a focus for his session and we'll encourage people to hold that intention lightly so that you know what you want to achieve but also at the same time you're going to just go with whatever comes up during your ketamine experience um and then he was describing perhaps a little bit of what we might describe in kind of classic psychedelic terms as ego dissolution um and that's where instead so where when we've got our ego in play that's when um we're kind of we've got kind of got this top-down view of the world so we've we're trying to make sense of course we're human beings our brains are trying to make sense of the world around us and kind of fit it in get to neat boxes because that makes us feel safe and secure and less anxious um most of the time when it's working well when we're struggling when we've got difficulties um sometimes our kind of top-down view of the world of the world is actually causing us more problems um because our perspective um isn't so helpful um and it's maybe causing problems with the way we think the way uh, the way we view the world the way we behave so when your ego goes offline which it can do with compounds like ketamine um and also with uh, the classic psychedelic um psilocybin so that's the active ingredient in magic mushrooms um when our ego goes offline in that way we're having a real kind of bottom up uh, experience a real kind of sensory experience um where our ego isn't trying to control anything i think that's what grant was describing it was just kind of and he found himself where he found himself kind of re, um reliving perhaps some childhood memories and he was able to go re- into that um without anything uh his kind of ego chattering away and making sense of it in his old way um so that enables you to develop perhaps a new perspective and some new insights um and for granted you know that was kind of actually alcohol's not not such a big thing in my life mm-hmm. um so what's amazing about that dissociation and um here i'm kind of really drawing on um celia morgan's study so that's the care trial that grant took part in i'm really drawing on their research papers here when i um i talk about how you could dissociate so that's where you get that feeling of disconnection um but it also seems to uh, enhance this feeling of connection um amazingly so whilst you're dissociated you can get this sense and i think you were saying grant about how you have this sense of being kind of part of the universe um so that real sense of where you fit um and what fits in your life and and alcohol wasn't part of that yeah so interesting and so grant um how have your relationships changed both with your family and and yourself since the experience like have you cultivated a bit more like self-compassion um and also have you strengthened the bonds with family members too oh crikey i mean um yeah i mean i just want to say you know um about the therapies as well and, and the actual uh infusions that at no point did i feel scared uh, you know, it is absolutely, it is something that happens to you, but you do not feel scared. It's it's an enjoyable experience, really. But yes, okay, so moving on to, um, moving on to the, um, how things have changed. Well, um, initially, um, I kind of was a little, I wasn't freaked out by it, but I knew that I had to do big changes. Um, and mm. so uh, some of my relationship, my relationship with my girlfriend, um, you know, went by the wayside quite quickly. And um, 
And but my relationships with my children and my home, um, mm. you know, and where I live here in Glastonbury, uh, you know, really, really um, opened up for me. Um, I realised that I had to do some, you know, um, get get some structure in my life when it came to um, uh, my fitness. So I, you know, joined a wonderful gym with lots of now I've got lots of friends. Um, I'm more social in my running before I used to run on my own for, uh, you know, just for miles and miles. And now I run in teams um, when we're allowed. Um, and, mm-hmm. yeah, my relationships with uh, my children. Um, whereas before, you know, it was always, I think that, that I was slightly impatient because of the alcohol Um nothing too bad but now it's just uh, my relationship with my children is um really really on 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 a level of that I don't really even I keep them safe because I'm their parents but you know apart Mm. from that nothing's off the table we talk about absolutely everything teenagers so you know (laughs) it's um you know my relationship with them is, is 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 wonderful and I feel um that my relationships with my um friends um I really I really value them in a different way now. So, um, and I understand, whereas before, um, you know, when, when I was, um, when I was drinking, it was all, you know, I was quite judgmental. I I feel that's, you know, that's gone completely from, from me now, not completely, obviously, but, you know, it's gone to a certain degree. And, finally, and this is what I want, want to say, is when I have troubles in my life, I just think back to being white, and I say mm. to myself in a comical way, well, at least you're not white up on the ceiling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. How bad can it be, um, you know, in, as life goes on? Um, yeah, so that's how, that's how I feel uh, about that. I can draw, um, I can draw the, um, my experience and put it to new challenges as well. So, uh, um, yeah, that's how I feel about that. Amazing. Um, and Dr. Laurie, can you talk a little bit about, because um, we think about serotonin now, the S in dose. So um, a serotonin is often linked with people who um, experience depression, so a lack of serotonin. Um, and so how can this therapy help with people who has experienced depression, anxiety, insomnia? Because we've spoken about it in terms of addiction, but can it help for these areas also? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a a, a, a real a real growing evidence base um, around ketamine as uh, a rapid acting antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the, and then the research is really emerging around using it in all sorts of other difficulties as well. So as um, uh, with Grant in the care trial, it can be useful for alcohol use problems, um, anxiety, um, eating difficulties, um, uh, and and trauma and PTSD as well, uh, and it's really interesting when you uh, you ask about serotonin because absolutely we know that um, s- serotonin or lack of is associated with uh, depression problems, um, and that's why uh, most antidepressant medications uh, SSRI so that's serotonin uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors um, are commonly prescribed for depression. But we're missing something there, I think, because they don't work for everyone. Um, and so there's, there's got to be a bit more to, more to the puzzle. 
So what we currently understand about ketamine, and another reason why it's so fascinating, there are many reasons why ketamine is a fascinating substance. One of the reasons is we're still learning about how it how it works. Um, we know about how it works as a um, anaesthetic, um, and it's been used clinically in hospitals for many years, uh, and it's a very safe kind of drug to be used in anaesthesia. Uh, we're, we're really starting to learn how it can be used to support mental health problems. Um, and f- we were really focusing uh, for many years around um, its role in uh, on glutamate receptors. So it blocks glutamate um, receptors and that plays a role in mood regulation. So that was kind of one of the un- uh, understandings we have of how um, of how it works. But then more recently, just last year, um, there's some research published published that indicates that ketamine does increase the number of serotonin receptors in the brain as well. So it does seem to be having a role to play. But again, it's because it's it seems to be working on a number of levels um, and how it can work across that broad spectrum of difficulties for people, um, you know, including depression, anxiety, anxiety. is because it's increasing brain flexibility uh, by it, it basically creates new connections, new synapses in the brain. So when that um, when the brain is kind of more connected, it's more adaptive and it's more flexible. Um, and there you have that opportunity to kind of uh, create new perspectives and see things in different ways, which is why certainly it worked on the care trial and why in Awaken we're really uh, concentrating on combining it with psychotherapy. Um, because it, it, you know, if when you're in that enhanced kind of uh, more sort of psychologically flexible state, that's, uh, uh, that's prime territory uh, for working uh, therapeutically. Mm. And we often think of... Um, uh, thinking of analogy in in psychedelic research this isn't an analogy that I've created by the way this is just one that um, is kind of quite familiar in, in psychedelic research is about how these compounds kind of uh, shake up the snow globe uh, so, so what we mean by that and it might be something that you've that you've heard before but um, is as, as we go through our life and we grow and we develop and we have experiences um, and for people who have kind of adversity or difficult experiences, hard times growing up, that the, the path that they're treading through that snow can be, can feel quite difficult um, and, um, and hard and, um, and also difficult to get out of. So they've kind of got this way of interpreting the world and, the, uh, and their beliefs about themselves that feels quite entrenched and quite stuck. And they're kind of treading that path through the snow and it's hard to, um, it's hard to dig out. So uh, compounds uh, like psychedelics, like ketamine, could kind of come along and throw that all up in the air um, and then the kind of the snow then settles down um, and that gives the individual the opportunity to create a new pathway and hopefully a more helpful and adaptive pathway through that snow um, and I really like that analogy because it's it's emphasizing how um, these compounds just create the environment for the individual to create their own path. Um, and I think that's important. So it's kind of really down to to the individual to to shape where they want to go and how they want to change. Yeah, that is a really nice analogy. And um, it's I mean, it's a shame, isn't it? Psychedelics are really coming back 
because in the kind of 60s and 70s they were used recreationally but then they kind of were abused as well at the same time which is why they kind of you know there was a stamp down on them and they were kind of made to be illegal um but they're, they're creeping back in now and i guess for people out there that are still associate mdma and ketamine as party drugs how can how is awaken like changing the conversation is it because it's you know being obviously practiced in a medical way and in a much more mindful way that it's able to have this kind of healthy benefit as opposed to you know allowing someone to kind of take too much of these party drugs alongside alcohol in an environment where they might be prone to you know take a little bit too much um yeah yeah interesting yeah, absolutely, Hetty. I guess it, it is. It's about. It's all about kind of this. What we call the set and the setting. Mm. Um, so we were paying really, uh, real attention to uh, the the mindset. So that's the set, the mindset of the individual that we're working with. Um, we're we're not just seeing them as a diagnosis or a cluster of symptoms where we get to know them we want to hear their story um what's got them to the point that they're at and um why they're why they're seeking support at this time um and we we've explained to them about the treatment and how the intervention works so and our um our setting is very is beautiful um in a lovely corner location in Bristol that Grant's been been along to as well and it's it's a a clinical environment but it's also so uh, balanced with being a really comfortable kind of friendly environment as well um and so so there we've got kind of control over the safety um aspects of um of how we administer this um these compounds and again as i've said before alongside psychotherapy so what we can do is really ensure the quality of the therapy um, and of course the quality of the um the substance um because this is something that it's uh, kind of clinical grade um so you know in uh, recreational settings uh because of prohibition you 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 don't know what you're going to get um so you kind of we we take care of the quality of um of the compound that we're giving and the quality of the care that we're providing um to ensure kind of safety and of course um that it's that it's an effective treatment so we know that if we combine um uh, compounds with uh, with therapy then we can improve long-term outcomes for people yeah amazing and just to finish i wanted to talk to grant about um this concept that we know at dose called healthy hedonism and i don't know if that you maybe classify yourself as a healthy hedonist now but the kind of idea behind it is that you can get those highs but like on your own supply so like on endorphins things like that that you can get from fitness and and as someone who has lived quite a hedonistic life in the past like taking you know raw drinking alcohol and other stimulants and then comparing your life now free of the stimulants but kind of getting high on things that your body creates naturally like how how would you compare that and and the experiences from from those drugs okay so now i'm open to ecstatic dancing five rhythms (laughs) i do i go to festivals and dance for six and seven hours i get Mm. to the places that um i used to get to before there's no doubt about Mm. it i am but the, the, the difference is and this is and you know however you use whatever you use um if you're using a substance or alcohol to get there, there will always be an emptiness. There'll always be that you've got there through a substance um, mm. and there'll always be, and you have to pay for that. But now, you know what? I go, I dance when I've had enough and everyone starts talking rubbish. I get in my van because I can drive <laughs> mm-hmm. and I go home and I go, wow, that was amazing. 
Um, same with exercise, you know, exercise, I, I am, yeah, I would say that I've swapped one life for another life. It took a long time to get there because I was yo-yoing back and forth um, with alcohol and being really good. But now, obviously, I'm just, I mean, I don't even think about alcohol. It's just, it's just not a thing. So, yes, I still reach um, the highs that I used to reach. But um, I just do it on my own with my, uh, you know, by exercising. Like, so it's a massive subject that I'm really interested in is, um, mm. you know, I'm doing something about um, exercise high now for the company I work for. Um, mm. So, yes, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the new thing, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. It's, it's fascinating speaking to you. And I'm really interested to see where Awaken goes in the future uh, as, as the science develops. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank <laughs> you for having us, Hetty. Great to speak to you. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.